can you be a Freemason and truly be a Christian? In Freemasonry, when they talk about going from darkness and into light, it's an allegory for knowledge. When they're in participating in Christian churches, that's for their cover and for whatever they've been assigned to do. Certainly after an adept level, you're only there to seed misinformation into the faith of Christians and to put your imagery and signs and interpretive views of the Bible, which is the polytheist way of understanding the Bible as as an interpretive. In other words, everything has a hidden meaning and that you have to be an adept to understand it. So they're only there to see evil within the church and division within the church. Many millennia ago, at the peak of Mount Hermon in the Golan Heights, a group of divine beings known as the Watchers, or Sons of God, descended in an act of rebellion against their king, Yahweh. By teaching them the secret knowledge of the cosmos, they sought to wrestle dominion of the earth away from humanity. They bore children with them, and their offspring were both human and divine. These giants are the demigods of old, and the events that transpired would forever alter the course of human history. At Camp Hermon, we discuss the oddities of the ancient world and their lingering impact on our world today. Welcome. Hey campers, welcome back to another episode. This is going to be a good one. We've got Gary Wayne coming back on tonight. So Tori, I'm super excited about that. Not as excited as me. I believe it. I believe it. You are a sucker for the Genesis 6 conspiracy, all things secret society. So I definitely believe that. Super stoked. You guys are going to love it. Before we get started, we just wanted to say a quick thank you to all the people who have joined us at camp as members. We're super stoked. We actually have our first members chat coming up. By the time this airs, it probably already will have happened, but we're really excited anyway. Yeah, just super excited for everybody that's joining and for everyone that's listening. Thank you guys so much. It's really helpful if you guys like and share and give us a like a good a good rating. That's going to help us grow and kind of spread the word about Camp Herman. Yeah, and thank you guys just for the encouraging messages and comments. Um, Chris and I actually read those and like share them with each other and it actually like means a lot to us. So um, it's not the sort of thing where they're going to an inbox that doesn't get read. Like <laughs> we check it all the time and we love it. It means so much. So thank you guys. And if you're on Spotify and you leave comments there, those are hard for me to see. I don't see those that often. So I do try to get to them, but if I'm being honest, Tori, it's one of those things where I think I have to like publish it to be able to respond to it because there's no option on the back end for me to like respond to those comments. So I do see those, but if you really want to comment on like what we're doing, find our Instagram or our Facebook and we, we respond to all those, not so much when it comes to the comments on Spotify. So if you want to get heard, go to Facebook or Instagram for that. So tonight, as I mentioned, we've got Gary Wayne coming back on. Super stoked 
I'm still digging into his book. It's like an encyclopedia <laughs> of information, which it's one of those books, Tori, that I'm probably going to end up reading like three or four times. And then also just coming back to for like various references. And I'm really glad that I got the ebook because I can do a search, like a keyword search in the ebook, which is super helpful. That's really handy. Actually, I had not even thought about that. I'm probably going to get the ebook as well, just for that reason. Yeah. So his book is The Genesis 6 Conspiracy. And you can find it on his website at genesis6conspiracy.com, as well as on Amazon. I think I bought the ebook through my iPhone. So whatever Apple, Apple books is. Um, so without further ado, Gary Wayne, thank you for coming back on. Well, thank you for inviting me and thank you for reading my book. And I too have the, uh, the ebook version, the uh, Kindle version that's, um, and obviously I have some hard copies as well, but I find uh, that, you know, it just, if you're looking for something quickly, like for keywords on something, you can just find things so much more quickly. So if somebody wants, is referring to a specific page or paragraph in my book, when they get a hold of me, I'll just Google the important, well, not Google, but search the important um, words and I'll get to it right away because I don't have all of that memorized. And uh, I, I would say this, you know, when I was writing the book, I read it so many times. And then when it's done and then you're proofreading it, you read it over and over and over and over. And then when you're going through the editing process, you got to go through that whole process again. And I I was astounded that, you know, I, I couldn't remember putting some of the stuff in, in the book, <laughs> <laughs> which I, you know, I hate to say, but it's just that much information that's in the book. And I always found at least, and I get a lot of comments from people saying they just love the second read or the third read or the fourth read because it just makes more sense to them and especially the first half of the book and especially in the second read even though I think the first half makes sense and people usually sort of get hooked into it just with the reading through the first section or so um it becomes so much clearer after you've read the second half again and then come back. It just, cause it just has that stuff that's connected all the way through the book that it just sort of lights up for people. So I have a, uh, I should have, this is my sort of tongue in cheek joke, tongue in cheek joke. I should have put a warning label on the book. Um, <laughs> and the joke goes is like, there's so much information in there. You can't speed read it because uh, it'll <laughs> blow your brain cells as you start overloading with information. Cause there's no loose sentences or loose chapters. There's no fill in it. It's just information from chapter one right through the epilogue. So it just keeps coming at you. So read it as you can, digest it. And it's written in a way that there are all many stories that lead into the next chapter. So you can uh, read a chapter one a night if you want, or read a couple if you're game for that. And you come back to it anytime you want. And a lot of people don't even read it in order. They just say, I go through the 98 chapters and just say, I want to read about the Rosicrucians or I want to, you know, um, read about Atlantis or whatever the topic is. And so a lot of people do it that way. But uh, and a lot of people tell me it's a book that they keep on the shelf for a reference book on those specific subjects because they can find it in a hurry. They just go to the chapter and away they go. I love that warning label, like do not operate heavy machinery. Well. Exactly. 
we used to have uh, a saying in the company I was with, uh, management back away from the devices. Because <laughs> we used to screw everything up, whether it was a photocopier or a computer or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I love that. I can definitely... I suspected, I'm like, this is a book I'm going to have to, I'm going to read three or four times. And I suspected what you mentioned, it's going to, more is going to start to sink in because there's just so much information. And Tori, I don't know if, if you have this problem like I do, like a lot of what we talk about on this podcast and with Camp Herman, even conversations you and I, Tori, have, you know, privately with Enoch and Mike Stibbs and Dr. Judd, like, a lot of this stuff is fairly new for me. So I find that what, ha what happens is I'll learn something and then my mind will kind of revert back. Like I'm learning about like Freemasonry and secret societies. And then my mind goes back to what I kind of like already knew. So I'm kind of fighting. I don't know if that's like programming, a yep. part of like programming that I'm fighting that. Gary says, yes. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, I, I consider myself, I mean, like an elementary school kid when it comes to this stuff, you know, it was really like the pandemic woke me up to like certain, you know, it was like this stuff's going on in the world. And then it was like, I had no idea this was in Genesis six. And then like you say, you know, so then it's like learning about the Freemasons and learning about this like Nephilim, like infiltration throughout all of history. And then, you know, so I'm rereading through the Bible and now I'm rereading through a second time. And now there's chat GPT and all this. So yeah, it is. It's like the more I learn, like the more, I don't know. It's like, it just, the story keeps coming to life, but it's like unfolding in front of our eyes too. But anyway, so it's, yes, I see what you're saying. I agree. I feel like a lot of campers can probably relate to that. It's, it's, it feels like a struggle, but it's like, it's an interesting struggle struggle so i'm like let's do it it is and i have to tell you when i was you know starting to come back to god and research the bible i was just interested in proving whether or not hal Lindsay had made sense in his book the late great planet earth that shows you how old i am quite old um and because he had scared the socks off of me and so i wanted to verify you know what he said was true and you know you look up the verses and that makes sense but it doesn't mean it's in context and doesn't mean it's in context with the rest of the bible so i wanted because i'm a contrarian i have I just i'm obsessed that way so you know i start logging it through and i had to start several times because it's way more narratives than i thought would be there and i was not adequately prepared to track that many things so i had to figure out a system but by the time you get into chapter six of Genesis, you're not in very far and you get into this thing called giants. And it's that, that, that cognizant dissonance just, just comes ringing back, even though I'm prepared, I'm thinking about the prophecy and end time prophecy, antichrist, fallen angels, all these things, you know, I said, okay, I want to find out about that. But as soon as I saw giants, I was, and I'm not ready for that. <laughs> <laughs> but that kept, keeps coming back up. But what I found was in, in all of the research that I did is as unsettling as it can be. And the desire to go back as if you could take a pill and go back and unlearn what you learn, like in the matrix. But um, it's, it, I couldn't go back. And I learned that it's better to deal with the unsettling nature of these topics because it brings a sense of understanding not only our hidden history, but what's going on today and where we're going. And so you don't have to like necessarily the information, but you become 
more at ease with what you're seeing. I mean, it's still, I mean, my blood gets boiling when I see what happened in the last pestilence, right? Um, and the things that they did so easily that they're doubling down to do more of down the road. But I understood what was going on. And and then on the other hand, you had people going around and saying, well, the the shot was you know, the mark of the beast. And it's like, no, 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 it's not that. It may be part of the technology of it down the road as it develops, but let's not get too far over our heels because one of the things that Christians really have to run the risk, have to take the risk off the table, which I don't believe we will, is is to lose our credibility because we have a temptation to say he's antichrist and they're wrong every time, especially when they're naming the presidents. But um, or, you know, New York City is Babylon, or the rapture is going to happen tomorrow, or just, we can't have that, because when people are going to need to hear our clear voices the most, they're not going to believe us. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Need to be careful of crying wolf. Yes, exactly. The sky is falling. Mm. It will, but it's not here yet. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, Gary, I thought it'd be really neat to talk about the British royal family, their bloodlines, just because we just had the coronation of of King Charles just about four days ago. And so I'm probably not the only one that kind of had a a lot of questions come up with seeing all of that. So I'd like to just kind of kick it off with whatever you want to share initially on the bloodline their history the symbolism maybe even of the coronation or it's a very good subject and king charles the third as he's known um he was uh coronated in a ritual and uh, it's a ritual that has spanned the generations since the flood and it was a tradition that was before the flood there was a oath-based system that was set up by the assembly of the gods on Mount Hermon, um, the Balim on the assembly of Mount Hermon, who rules the nations, as Deuteronomy 32 talks about the 70 nations, both before and after the flood. And it's rooted in the harem anathema that was sworn before the flood. And if there was a second incursion, which I tend to lean heavily towards, terms of the best reconciliation with scripture although i'm open to the other ways simply because we're not we don't get a smoking gun verse after the flood just like we do before the flood so i won't go get too far down that rabbit hole on that technicality but assuming that that happened and even if it didn't it's still a continuation from the oath of the fallen angels who set up their assembly first with l the parent god, Baal being the offspring god who rules after the flood and creates, according to the Ugaritic text, the Raphaim, 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 sorry, and as recorded in there, the Rapiu or the Rapiam, RPM in Old Semitic. And so they're having actually these rituals that um, they're wanting to bring back Baal and Ashtaroth to create more Raphaim because they have a fertility issue after the flood as part of the terrible ones. And I won't go down too far down that rabbit hole, but it's why they had to intermarry after the flood. 
um, and producing these bloodlines that come down through history. So this coronation is ceding its uh, inheritance right, the right of inheritance, as they call it, through bloodline that goes back to Mount Hermon and the Raphaim after the flood, and they would even say before the flood, and have the genealogies, <coughs> excuse me, to have the genealogies, they say, to back this up. So, for example, and I'll get back to the coronation. For example, uh, Prince Charles, when he before he was king, said that he has a genealogy that takes him back to Vlad the Impaler, whom Dracula is based on. And Vlad the Impaler is a classic Tuatha Du Danann. He has red hair, hazel eyes, pale skin, educated at the Mystery School of Solomon in Vienna. He has an aversion to light, so he's a knight individual. Individual. He takes his genealogies back to the, the uh, I always screw this up, the Atharagi uh, tribe of the Scythians, who were founded by Hercules and is the son of alchemy, a human female, and Zeus. So you have this direct genealogy in one of his scion bloodlines, because a scion is like a bloodline that's grafted into ennoble-specific lines. And as pure as those bloodlines are and the more ennoblement that they have, the higher they are in the royale, E-L-A-L is the transliteration, is the kings of God, from the authority of the Balim off of Mount Hermon, who rule this earth, just as Satan is the prince of this world who sits at the top of the assembly. And so it's this divine right of rule that uh, they are uh, inheriting and being coronated in, and that they look at themselves as little gods, and that they also believe in as, as his bloodlines, as the Stuart bloodlines would be scioned into Prince Charles through intermarriage, that divine right to rule that King James asserted and made famous again. Um, and he's the sponsor of the King James Version Bible. And he's the mighty Prince James, as in Gibberim. And he's the unicorn, which is a, an occult allegory versus a, a, a wild ox, as, as unicorn should be translated from Hebrew from, in, from the Old Testament. And so you have all of this sort of imagery that's surrounding the coronation of the nation that King James envisioned as being um, conquering the whole earth in an antichrist type posture, which is why you get his mythos being overlaid onto the King James Version Bible. I'm not knocking the King James Version Bible. I'm just saying there are markers that were put in that are inexplicable and unaccounted for. Unicorn would be one. Lucifer would be another. I won't go through all of them. It's a good translation, but it's got some markers in there you, want to, you should be aware of. Um, and we have the original Greek and Hebrew, so we can verify the translation, which I like to do. So this is this this is the dynasty that is inheriting the King James dynasty of the Stuart dynasty because the Hanovers are brought in to replace the drama and the back and forth of wars to put a Protestant or a Catholic Stuart king on the throne. And so Prince Charles married a descendant of a bloodline of the Stuart dynasty. So William actually might be even more of a better candidate because the Stuart dynasty 
which was founded by uh, Robert the Bruce and changed name through intermarriage because he didn't have a son. It was a female who, uh, his daughter who married into the into the Stuart family and the bloodline goes down from there. And it's the Sinclairs that were part of setting up the Robert the Bruce dynasty, who were the founders of modern Freemasonry. And there's another St. Clair, and because St. Clair was the ancient name to Sinclair, it's just a transliteration for St. Clair. And that comes from a treaty in about 910 to 912 when Rollo and the Vikings expropriated Normandy, and it was the Treaty of St. Clair that was the treaty and they adopted that name and the Bruce's came with it and if, along with this with the St. Clair's and Hugh Saint, uh, <coughs> Henry Henri de St. Clair, I got a frog in my throat, I'm sorry, um, was a battle partner to Hugh de Payon and Godfrey de Bouillon and one of the unlisted founders of the Knights Templar. Uh, there's nine by usual standard accounting, and then there's two more within the craft. And one of those names would be Anjou, and the other one would be um, St. Clair. So Anjou is the folk of Anjou of that time, and he joins the Templars a little bit later. Um, and so Hugh de St. Clair is the descendant of the Sinclairs who found Freemasonry take the Templars in after the falling of the Knights Templar and create and build Rosalind Chapel, another famous Masonic sort of uh, pilgrimage uh, holy site. And so you have this ennobling of this bloodline into King Charles is where I'm going with this. And at that time, the Merovingian dynasty was considered the most, not the Merovingian, the Sinclair dynasty sponsored dynasty of the Stuarts was the most ennobled bloodline of that time. So they had bloodlines that they inherited through the Anjou and through the Merovingians that they take those bloodlines through. Um, and they were the most ennobled bloodline of that time, so much so that the Catholic Church was afraid to take them on. Uh, it shows you how powerful they were. And you also had the bloodlines of the Tuatha Dé Danann of Ireland, because uh, Robert the Bruce's brother was King of Ireland. Um, and you also have the Camelot dynasties, bloodlines that they had intermarried with into that, that bloodline, and a whole bunch of other Celtic bloodlines. So it was the most ennobled bloodline from the Tuatha Dé Danann and other bloodlines uh, that was. So he has a pretty high standing, and he's a member, his, his, his mother and therefore himself would be a member of one of the orders of the Golden Fleece, which is an Anjou bloodline that currently would be uh, run by, or at least at the head of would be King Philippe Bourbon of Spain, who currently holds the King of Jerusalem title, but Queen Elizabeth had held a high seat at the highest level there that King Charles would also inherit. Golden Fleece was the material that the gods and by implication, the demigod Nephilim or Raphaim would like to make their clothes from because it permitted some sort of technology from this golden fleece that kept their bodies from decaying in the physical world. 
Um, and so that is one of the positions that King Charles would hold, not only as he also head of the Commonwealth of, of uh, the existing Commonwealth of the, of the British Empire, and also Queen Elizabeth was the head of the Knights of St. John, at least from the Protestant side of how that works and was inherited through uh, having control of the island of Malta and Rhodes and as they moved through that. Now there's also the Catholic branch that answers into uh, the, excuse me, the, uh, the Vatican. But the Knights of St. John is one of the more powerful uh, orders that has been around and is very much involved on the Swiss banking aspect after the fall of the Knights Templar and become sort of the founders of Swiss banking with that white cross. That's where the emblem of Switzerland comes from. Uh, I won't get into the banking conspiracy at this point, but um, just to sort of follow the the power of this, the, the this Knights of St. John have their own standing at the UN and they can vote and they can participate in debates. They are one of the most sort of renowned organizations as parents to modern spy agencies. And, and one last thing on it, and then I'll, and I'll, st I'll stop on his uh, pedigree. And so the high-level members uh, of the Knights of St. John have to be of uh, royal blood, but of ruling royal blood. So as the whether or not they have a, a country or not, but the recognized throne and a lot of them sort of remain in the in the sideline, but not the first son. So it'd be like the second son. So they would be members of it. Now, with Harry leaving, that probably leaves a void there because he should be on the board of the Knights of St. John. I don't know whether he is or he isn't, but they would have to have another replacement to represent their uh, family at the lower level with King Charles at the top. So the Hanover bloodline comes from Germany, right? To replace the Stuarts. And it's from that German bloodline of the of the Kaisers, basically, that were overthrown, that scioned into uh, grafted in bloodlines from the uh, Vlad the Impaler bloodlines, the, the Dracula, son of a dragon bloodlines that go back to, to Hercules and Zeus, who is depicted as a serpent god. So I kind of want to ask two questions and you can answer whichever you want, whichever one you want first. These orders, like the, the Knights of St. John and the Order of the Golden Fleece, mm -hmm. are these considered like secret societies or fraternities or do they, yep. they operate that way? Yep. They are. Okay. They're initiatory orders with oaths. They are that polytheist, oath-based system. And you have organizations that are outside the Roman church and organizations that are inside the church. So the Jesuits would be another one inside the church, Opus Dei, uh, sort of modern masonry or modern Christian masonry as they were known when they were founded. They would be based on that. And most of the monk orders within the uh, within the Roman church are oath-based as well. And those monastic orders are based on the Essenes who are, you know, supply, I would say, about half of the organizational structure to modern secret societies. The other half was imported uh, through the assassins by the Templars. So you have that amalgamation to the Western organizational structure. 
Okay, I lied. That was that. Was, I, I want to just ask that one question, and, and you did answer it. I lied because I have another question that I want to ask instead. We talk when you talk about oath based. Yep. You made the connection to Mount Hermon mm-hmm. and the watchers coming down and the oath that they made that we see in yep. the first book of Enoch. Do you think in Matthew 5, 34 through 37, Jesus talking about essentially don't take oaths, let your yes be yes and your no be no. I'm kind of paraphrasing. Do you think that's directly, is he speaking kind of directly to that and it's directly related to that? Okay. It is. And God, and, and it says not to take oaths like throughout the Bible. It's not just one verse. And I have several of those quotes that open up the chapters in, in the Genesis 6 conspiracy. The reason is this, is, is that God will hold you accountable to that oath. So whatever you're swearing to, he will hold you accountable to. And so... If you want to get an example of how he will hold you accountable to that oath, just look at Israel and the Holy Covenant and the oaths that they swore to uphold that covenant. And God told them up front, you can either have your future fulfilled through the blessings of the covenant by fulfilling the Holy Covenant, not knowing that they wouldn't be perfect and there was atonement for sins, or it will be fulfilled through the curses of the covenant. If you continue to rebel or backslide, which they did, and our history is a result since then of them not fulfilling the covenant and having time play out through the curses of the covenant. Now, they're going to be brought back into the covenant in the last three and a half years, and they're going to accept the Messiah, and be part of the Supper of the Lamb in time for that at, at the Battle of Armageddon. But they were held accountable. So Israel, northern Israel, was absolutely pretty much wiped from the face of the earth by the Assyrians. And Judah, the southern kingdom, would have been wiped out again, but they repented. So lost Israel was lost into the nations. They'll wake up in the end time, but they've had, since 721 BC, almost 27, 2800 years of accountability, whom God had already sworn to forgive, but that's the size of the accountability. And then later, in about 587 BC, Judah had continued to backslide, and they were taken into Babylon. They weren't sold and lost into history, because they still had the the uh the covenant to complete through the curses and bring about the messiah so there a remnant was allowed to come back and resettle but then again they continued to violate the covenant and then they didn't recognize the messiah and the roman empire dispersed them around the world destroyed their city people will be held accountable for their oaths and one other example on how strong these oaths are and this is Probably the best example I can talk talk about, it comes in Jude chapter 1 with Moses. So Moses, as Christians know, um, during the Egyptian um, tribulation, so to speak, or the Sarah, time of trouble for Israel, uh, early time in a beast empire, you had a time where 
Moses was put into a basket and put in the river to make sure he wasn't killed for the firstborn because they didn't want the deliverer. Akin to what happened with the birth of Jesus, all the firstborn were killed so that the Messiah couldn't come to power by Herod, who did that. Herod from Edomite bloodlines, um, who was ruling over Judah at that time. And so he's adopted into the Pharaoh family. Well, when you're doing that, and he's adopted as a royal blood. So he is initiated at Heliopolis into the seven sacred sciences, into mysticism. He's an adept of the highest level, of one of the higher levels before he becomes an adult. He's in this oath-based religion and societies and would have sworn oaths to the pantheon of God and to the head of the pantheon. And who knows what else they would have done in those high-level um, rituals. So Moses, as everybody knows, he turns, after he's thrown out of Egypt, he repents to God and he's actually the deliverer and he's well positioned because he knows Egypt inside and out and can talk to them in their own language in terms of both the, the, the spoken language and the allegories and the mystical aspect and all that part. But when he takes, when Moses leads Israel out and he dies and before he enters into the land of the covenant, he's not allowed to go in for what happened at the time of getting the water from the rock, but no matter when he died, you would have seen this same scene play out. And that scene is, is Satan shows up to claim Moses at the death because of his legal right, because of the oaths that Moses would have sworn. I'm adding into this, but just to show you why God made such an important statement of not taking oaths, because you will be held accountable. However, God can trump any of that because he's all powerful and satan is only permitted for a time to rule at god's uh desire to let him continue to sift through the people as the people who come to this world have the ability to leave their names in the book of life or have it blotted out it's part of that testing that this whole time period is going through and so michael claims moses's body with jesus's with god's authority but if god had not stepped in he had perfect legal right so don't swear oaths because you will be held accountable for it and if you swear an oath um that's not to like secret societies and to satan understand you've sworn that oath in god's name as opposed to a pledge this is a sworn oath um and god will hold you accountable for that doesn't mean you won't be saved but you will be held accountable however that accountability will play out that makes me wonder i had a i went to a church in japan i was i was in the air force and i was stationed in on okinawa and i went to a church where the pastor would not allow anyone that was a freemason to become a member of that church. They could, they could come to services, yep. but they couldn't be a member. They couldn't serve yep. because of the, the oaths that they, that they would. So we're taking. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess the question would be for someone like Moses who swore these oaths, but then repented and serving the Lord, what do you think they should do? I mean, I, I believe that, you know, that they should run, obviously renounce specifically all of maybe every aspect of every oath that they took 
does that and the power of Christ, does that, that doesn't break it as far as the, the accountability that you're talking about? Well, I think the uh, standard it would be so high for God to intervene on that. Um, but I leave open the possibility that that can happen. Um, and what was also interesting about uh, Moses, it would seem that when this plays out, not, I mean, Satan wants the body. I don't know, and he probably wanted the spirit that would have been going back to heaven, as what we're told, because there's a soul and a body, and he wanted all three. Whether or not he kept the body or not is irrelevant, because we all received new bodies at the resurrection. So um, so there, there's that sort of aspect of about it. But the only thing that's not forgiven through the sacrifice of Jesus is a sin or a blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. So whatever the angels did and whatever the mark of the beast does, it also has this, not only the violations against creation, but a violation and a blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Now, the fallen angels tended to counterfeit the mother goddess that they would call Sophia or wisdom as the Holy Spirit, as what the divine essence is understood at, which will be part of the Mark of the Beast system, where I think that final threshold crosses with that Mark of the Beast. They'll swear an oath, and there'll be that violation as well. So if you swear those oaths and have been part of a secret society, I think you're going to have to be very, very pure after giving your repentance to be forgiven continuously to be resurrected, I think your standard would be significantly higher. And uh, it, so it's not impossible, but you would really have to show the spirit. You would really have to manifest things from that spirit of that repentance and always be on guard. Cause I think that standard would be higher. That's just my speculation. I mean, I do not, get into the shoes of the almighty in terms of judgment sure yeah smart yeah <laughs> um gary so okay so we're talking about the bloodlines like the royal bloodlines you know and like having these oaths and rituals and everything um you know we've talked a little bit you know we have friends who have experienced this like i don't totally want to like implicate my own family or whatever but like what happens if like someone in your bloodline was involved in something like that like freemasonry or was like taking those oaths you know and then like and then like if you as a born again christian you know like like how does that work you know what i mean like do i need to worry about like any curses that could be on me from like you know previous generations who did something like that or what are your thoughts there we lost Gary. Oh no. I shouldn't have asked. Obviously, this question <laughs> <laughs> was too much for the tech overlords. Hey everyone. So we are back with Gary Wayne. Um, we actually started recording this episode a long time ago, started getting into the thick of a conversation about Freemasonry. And right when I started asking a question about family um, history and bloodlines, as far as oaths and Freemasonry go, we got cut off. 
Gary lost his connection and it was kind of interesting timing. But anyway, so we're back with him again tonight. We are just going to pick up where we left off. So Gary, I had just asked you before we lost you, what happens if someone in your family bloodline made some sort of oath or placed some kind of curse on your family? You know, so let's say that happened with me, like unbeknownst to me and um, I've given my life to Jesus. Do I need to do any work to like undo or renounce any of those oaths or by giving my life to Jesus, have I been like set free from those? Yeah, that's a a very, very good question. So uh, what we're told biblically is that people will be held accountable for all of the oaths that they swore. And so uh, any oaths that you swore, it's not that it's a sin to make an oath, but you have to uphold that oath so if it's just an oath that you've you know done that sort of you know something that you can continue to do then i would continue to do that because then i mean you'll be recognized for fulfilling your oath but if it's something that is contrary to god or leads you away from god or anything in that sort of respect yes i would renounce it and i would ask for forgiveness uh, because what we do know is is that all sins are forgiven except those that uh, sin against the uh, holy spirit so i think it's just a matter of sort of isolating the oaths that you might have taken and then i would take time to deal with that yeah i think that would be a good idea yeah and so just to be clear it wouldn't be any oath that i've taken it would be like something that could have happened in my family history that that had nothing to do with you know what i'm saying like like a past generational thing oaths yeah, all um, tend not to be passed on to their offspring or relatives or anything like that. That's individual. That's between you and the maker or the gods that you're swearing your oaths to. And so I would not worry about that aspect of it. And anything, whether or not people has have DNA that might come from the fallen angels and the Nephilim and the Raphaim or blood types that might be there. Again, none of that is you should be concerned with because again, you're not held responsible for things that you're innocent of and you have no choice in that matter. Um, so it's what you do and what you believe that that's most important. And that even if I would even pass that on to the, uh offspring of the of the giants even and maybe in the first few generations we know in old testament law that the sins of the father are not passed on to the third or fourth generation now that's a specific law for the people of israel because they're held to a higher standard as a nation of priests and so if a offspring of a giant uh, who's being brought up into mysticism decide and make let's say first generation of of the original giants if they were to um, ask for forgiveness if they were to have faith in god uh, faith in 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 the tripart nature of the godhood then one would expect that they would be forgiven they would be held accountable for anything that they might have done to that point but they would you one would presume that they would be uh, held uh, they would be forgiven of those sins unless again it was a sin against the holy spirit that's a whole different ball game so uh, as far as curses 
it's, it's certainly in a polytheist belief that you can curse and that you can uh, help towards, I would say, implementing that curse. But typically that takes the participation of demonic spirits and or fallen angels to really sort of carry that out unless you're going to physically do it yourself on that curse. And again, those curses could only be passed on if you had the support of those sort of demonic um, individuals. And there are occasions, and I've heard stories with communication where people who are a specific member of a family and that I think there is in, in, in certainly some of the uh, families where you have this sacrificial ritual where one individual has to be ostracized from that family and you have to do everything you can to destroy them and they become accursed and it's like a qualification to continue to receive the benefits of the bloodline the benefits of the the money stream knowledge and anything else that that, that they're offering so in the polytheist belief system they hold a lot of power over people, whether or not it's actual legitimate power or not. But if those individuals had sworn oaths and then were being sacrificed, then you, one would expect that demonic spirits would be in support of implementing that uh, curse, as I would understand it. From a biblical perspective, uh, we get a couple of curses, but you have to have the authority of God to make a curse. And even the fallen angels are very, very, very careful of crossing the lines of the things that they should or shouldn't do. And certainly angels, um, you know, when you have that situation with Michael and Satan, he is not cursing Satan. He is he's only rebuking him in the name of God and the authority that he has. So curses are rare biblically, but we get a couple of them. We get and they're both combined into a what I call a, a prophecy curse. So the first one, for example, would be in Genesis 3.15, after the, the Nahash, the serpent, deceives Eve and Adam from, and then Adam from eating from the tree of good of evil, and they're, going, they're, they're being ostracized, and they're being punished from Eden. But the serpent is held accountable too that the woman will step on uh, the serpent's head and that it's going to become accursed and that's going to continue to play out in that sort of prophetic line of the two different bloodlines that i think is fulfilled with the serpentine nephilim of genesis 6 created from seraphim serpent faced six-winged dragon watchers and the Next one that we would have that would be, I think, really appropriate and in a physical way to humans would be the curse of Ham that isn't actually cursed to Ham. He's almost sort of expunged of his sin, but it's to take place prophetically with one of his sons and Canaan. And it had and it and it's on the mountain of Ararat, which means cursed, uh, as you take that back to Hebrew.
And so again, you have this curse, but Noah has the authority of God to do this. And in the first case, it was the authority of God with Jehovah um, doing the curse. Now it's Noah, who is the patriarch for Adamites after the flood, and he has all the authority of God to do so. And he knows what's been done to him, as it's stated in, in the Bible. So there are some of those occasions where that curse can be done and it goes forward, but that's what the full authority of God. And that's the only way we have sort of power to curse people because that's not in our realm of powers that we should think that we have. And that judgment or cursing generally is reserved for God or done through the authority of God because he has permitted that to happen. So Gary, one thing that I was curious about when it comes to like Freemasonry and Christianity, there's a lot of professing Christians who are Freemasons. And what I'm wondering is, can you be a Freemason and truly be a Christian? Because in one of the oaths, and I don't know what oath this is, I don't know if it's like an initial um, oath you take to become a Freemason, um, but there's a line, and I'm going to I'm gonna insert, well, I'm going to insert my name in there, but maybe I don't want to do that. But there's a line that says, brother so-and-so has long since been in darkness and seeks to be brought to light. And what it sounds like that is, is that that's a denouncement of Christ. And what I'm wondering is, if you were a Christian... Uh, and then became a Freemason. If that's a denouncement of Christ, would you would you therefore be forfeiting your salvation? Yeah, you certainly have that on the table that you're swearing an, an oath against God. Um, now, can that be forgiven? Probably again, um, but you will be held accountable, whatever that's going to pertain because an oath is an oath. And in Freemasonry, when they talk about going from darkness and into light, that's from no knowledge and into knowledge, like it's an allegory for knowledge. Uh, it can also mean uh, an allegory that light is their belief system, polytheism, and darkness is monotheism, and that darkness is God that they would consider let's say in that movie Doctor Strange as the dark lord of the universe and Lucifer as you learn at the first degree adept at the 33rd degree Scottish or third degree York right that the light is Lucifer or Satan or the great architect of the universe and all the other names that he may have that are part of his attributions so yeah, there's a distinct uh, notion there that there's in their belief system that Satan is the equal of God, but God is a powerful angel and equal to Satan, and they're in per this perpetual conflict. All of that is, is, does not coexist without contradiction with Christianity. And so just by the implication, you can't be that way. But you can't swear an oath to another god or a fallen angel and, and, and be a Christian. Um, you can't accept uh, Jesus only as a prophet or a teacher and not 
the deity status as the word or the Jehovah of the Elohim uh, and the other titles, the angel of the Lord and all the other titles that he has as Messiah. And so, no, they, you cannot be Christian and, and, and Masonic and be a true Christian because you're going you're gonna to have to deny aspects of the tripart nature and particularly of, of the word um, that he is just was a, a mortal prophet as they would describe him and a great teacher and maybe was an avatar with an incarnation of one of the fallen angels to have wisdom to help humankind on their development to godhood uh, as all of their people who are sent on the way, whether it's Confucius or it's Buddha and on and on and on with the long list that they would provide for that. And so when we have Freemasons participating in Christian churches, understand they don't necessarily think they're lying. They have a different definition of what a Christian is. And theirs is the Gnostic Jesus, the Gnostic uh, Mary Magdalene, and that they believe in him as a, as a as a prophet and a teacher, but not to the extent that Christianity does. And they certainly don't believe that he was resurrected and that through his resurrection, our sins are forgiven and that he has been misrepresented by Christianity throughout the last 2000 years as to who he was. So they will recognize him, but bring him back to sort of Confucius um, uh, Buddha type of status, uh, and, and there'll be there'll be a whole list of these people that they would do. So, when they're in participating in Christian churches, that's for their cover and for whatever they've been assigned to do. And so, if you're not an adept level, you may be still naive because you haven't sworn the oath to Satan, and and Satan has been revealed has not yet been revealed to you as as the god of the Masons. Because uh, that only comes at first level adept, but you cannot be you cannot be both. Is and certainly after an adept level, you're only there to seed misinformation and doubt into the faith of Christians and to put your imagery and signs and interpretive views of the bible which is the polytheist way of understanding the bible as as an interpretive in other words everything has a hidden meaning and that you have to be an adept to understand it so they're only there to seed evil within the church and division within the church and how long is someone a freemason before they get to that level because i know some people who when they join, they're like, oh, you know, they, they're at that kind of naive stage. Like you, you were talking about when they joined, like, oh, you just have to believe in a higher power. It's just a, you know, it's just like a boys club. It's a social, a social thing. Um, how long are they going, assuming they don't, they don't leave before this point, but how long are they going before they get to that uh, level, that adept level that you're talking about? It depends on two things, as I understand it. One is the, the leaders of the local lodge. And are you there to just fill numbers and be part of the window dressing, even though you may have distant bloodlines because you have to be invited to join. You just can't go and join. You have to be part of the bloodlines, part of the DNA. But you may be so 
lull that they have no intentions of ever permitting you to achieve adepthood. So they'll keep you busy at the lower levels, they'll string things out. And you also have uh, a set of things that you have to go through all of these different degrees. So the Scottish Rite has, you know, uh, 33 degrees, and it's basically the, you know, 11 different separations within the three degrees of the old, old system of the York Rite. So that will take time. They have to study, they have to learn, they have to do rituals, and they have to be ready to move on at every level. So in, in that aspect, it's sort of at the speed that they can do it. So it's kind of like the same way Scientology is built, where they're learning all of this knowledge and they're paying as they go to learn this knowledge, which is usually part of the whole sort of con I think at the lower levels is you have to pay to be part of these organizations all of your life and be part of the families all of your life um, so it's really you know up to that individual if they're one that would be considered worthy and not mundane to become adepthood and they looked at everybody below the first level of adept as mundane and not worthy and certainly not worthy to receive the truth. So everything they're learning at the lower levels is just preparation. It's not, it's not the real secrets. And in their allegories, they have many layers. So the lower level layers are, are it's like the fairy tale, right? <laughs> the fairy tale has a great narrative, but in their um, literature, of interpretation is you have to be an adept to understand the built-in allegories and the taciturn imagery that is telling the whole story. I'm wondering if you could speak on their involvement in human trafficking. Um, I've had multiple conversations with people who have trouble wrapping their head around a like uh, Freemasons being you know, anything more than just a, a social club, but B, these same people tend to have trouble grasping how real um, and how, how serious uh, human trafficking is. And I remember when I used to, I used to serve warrants and subpoenas in middle Tennessee and I drive all over middle Tennessee and the smallest podunk towns had Freemason lodges and so I, I just used to think like, well, you've got these networks of Freemason lodges in like almost every city in the country. And I'm not sure um, like worldwide how how widespread they are as far as are they in every kind of medium or major city around the world. But I just thought like, well, there's a network right there. Is there a connection there, do you think? Yeah, there is a connection there. So. Freemasonry was exported to England uh, by King James, um, the patriarch for the King James Bible after uh, the Stuarts, or I mean, uh, after uh, Elizabeth. And they decided that as England was going to be this empire, that they would expand lodges throughout the empire and use that empire to expand around the world and then when the jacobite movement was overthrown it moved into europe uh, and particularly into france first and uh, set up uh, what they call continental masonry 
Now, there are other bloodlines around the world. So the Chinese have their own bloodlines and they are loaded with secret societies and they're considered equal to the European secret societies. One presumes there are similar Royal Masonic societies in all the cultures with all the bloodlines. Uh, we're just familiar with uh, the ones in Western Europe. And there are rivals there as well, just as you if you, you had social masonry created to bring down the Kaisers, to bring down um, the, uh, the Tsars in Russia, bring down the Xi dynasty in, in China, um, because they want to be the ones who are going to running the world. They want to have that dynastic Antichrist type figures. So I don't think they're everywhere around the world, but they have associate organizations that do the same things, right? Because it's the same religion all around the world. It's just a different uh, name of a society for different bloodlines. So they would be doing similar things. So the question began is, is what about child trafficking? And is that real? And is that part of it? So I've had, um, I guess, the, the unfortunate pleasure of working with people who have had direct access to this um some uh some uh who live in indiana who fight against and that has the most centered concentration of freemasons in north america is in indiana so there's some interesting things that are growing there and i think it has a lot to do with the elm tree that is very important with their thalemic uh tree organizations um so but that's just my theory but uh they are they continually put themselves on the line there and rescue people from these human trafficking and uh, rituals and child molestation and all sorts of horrible things that go on at the adept level on, on the rituals. And I also know people uh, and currently work with one. I'll, I'll, I'll leave the names out uh, um, just for their, for their safety. And then they know what they're doing and they take the protections, but there's no sense in uh, creating, um, needless extra worries and things like that so and this particular person is, was uh, quite high up and uh, they're always looking for her and she has confirmed what i learned from the other people and uh she's of the bloodlines and of a of a, of a pure bloodline in, in north america and we went on a uh excursion at one of the conferences and in florida and they had this not a convention but they had this festival of witches and people celebrating the fairy culture and everything in the occult gypsies the whole bit and we we're a busload that went in there sort of into the dragon's den if you want to speak and th th no harm came to us but <laughs> we we're prepared that's um, awesome and and which which he was touring us around is is what they do because when you're referencing they're in all of the small towns they are and they're there to set up shop and they're there to do a number of things is is first of all is is they want to put their legal authority on that town and that town square and so they focus early on with the town with the town square and the town dimension so You'll see on a Masonic Lodge, you'll have uh, like a cross uh, in a window, 
like basically just dividing it into four quadrants. So it sort of gives a bit of a Christian sort of gloss, but those four cardinal points are very, very important to them in the occult, not only with the elemental um, aspect of it in terms of wind, fire, and things like that, but also in jurisdictions to the four quadrants, what they call it, you know, and even biblically at the four quadrants of the four corners of the earth, and everything is sort of broken down that sort of way. So they set up shop where, and we got to tour it, where they'll have on the north and south, they'll have either a Masonic temple or a legal building that is set up of some sort. It could be a courthouse, could be a police station, you know, things like that. And uh, then on the east-west axis, they'll have two churches that were built within this square. And uh, I, I and, and so when we went there, we saw the Masonic Lodge on the north. We saw a police station on the south or a fire, fire hall. I can't remember which now. Um, and then they had two churches that were set up. And then I was thinking about my own hometown in Canada. And, you know, we have a fire hall on the north axis. We have a courthouse on the south axis. And we have two churches on the, on the east and west, one Protestant, one Catholic, and set up perfectly like that and then they should she, uh, she said we're going to go look for uh, a large tree that was cut like an elm tree uh, <laughs> which is a very important part and they would use that as an altar and do secret rituals you know at night and on certain festivals and sacrifices there and it has to have a water source that was there so that was located and found and when we were there and then I was told that they burrow into the earth. So they have these tunnels and underground buildings and all of these systems that they can go down into again to do rituals and for protection for down the road and whatever they're plotting uh, down the road. And I think they're foreseeing war. And so like in Revelation 6, where it talks about, you know, the 25% destruction within the seals of the complete earth and the great war, that they are running into those caves for protection. Uh, and, they, and it's so horrible, they actually think it might be the, the day of the Lord. So what was interesting about it is I'm kind of, you know, okay, I'll, 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 I'll watch, I'll see, I'll, I'll sort of analyze myself. But then when I thought about my own hometown, and I know there's a Masonic Lodge there, um, I thought, you know, that's set up exactly like my hometown. And so you have these networks, you have these facilities that are secretive and, and underground, and they have all of these ancient rituals that will require human trafficking to fulfill and but and everything is in place to work together around the world to do it so you know if you have places where you have an opportunity to have open borders you just increase the ability to do more of those kinds of evils and so it's not that I, I think that people ought not to have a good life, but that's not the reason why uh, migration is permitted when it shouldn't. And, and you look at the human trafficking that's going on with uh, the, the U.S. border right now. And then when you understand that 
And a good example for this would be the Lee family and the G's. They're the head of all of the triads and all of the mafia organizations um, in the Chinese system because it's all bloodline orientated and they're all bloodline. They're working, you know, sort of as the polar ends of the government in the underworld, so to speak, that are controlling the whole uh, culture and people from poles apart perspectives, but driving them in a certain direction. And then when you look at the mafia that we have that was exported from another gens country of the Julia gens, um, and we see that set up and it's in it, it, they're all initiation organizations as well. And they have a godfather at the head and they're doing the same thing in, in, in North America as they do in Europe, as they do in China. And they're working in partnership and they never get taken down in a way that is real. Only when they break whatever rules that are sort of set down, will there be any action that's taken against them. And you see these organized, initiated gangs that are doing the human trafficking across the border in the U.S. Who do you think they're delivering many of those people to? They're all connected. You just have to understand the organizational structure and you see exactly what's going on. It's just, and it's just a horrible thing to contemplate, but the people that protect them and the people who are doing their bidding, they're, they do pure evil, but they don't think it's evil because the people that they're doing it to are like cattle. And that's what they think of us is, is like cattle. And so it's perfectly fine. Kind of a ends justify the means yeah in in their mind is it safe to say that wherever there's a masonic lodge that there's um human trafficking and human sacrifice going on in that city or would it depend on if if that particular lodge has people that are high up enough that are performing those type of things or is that stuff happening at every lodge you would have to have a quite a large lodge to have those type of rituals going on because there's just not that many adepts, especially in a small town. But if you understand the organizational structure is that you have to be fifth degree in the old system. So first degree, um, or I'm sorry, you have to be, uh, you have to be two degrees higher than the first degree. So that's that you got to be third degree that I'm doing the, the math on the old system to be what they call a grant, uh, a regional master for the lodges. So you're like a regional manager. So you would have a, a kind of a more central head office sort of location there. And I think that's where you would see most of that. And they would bring their people in for regular meetings on certain dates. And just as you have the council, uh, uh, you know, in Washington that meets regularly and around the world. And so uh, that's likely where you're going to see more of that, but where there's enough population and within the larger centers, you would have that, you would probably see more of that going on. So I would say more limited in the smaller towns and have to be more careful in the smaller towns because everybody knows everybody and Anybody that knew is, is a bit out of place. And so, yeah, I would say probably more at the, at the regional offices and higher. 
Mm, okay. Wow. Just my speculation. Um, what do you think the people at the higher levels, like 32nd degree are doing? Like, what do you think that they're responsible for? And I guess I'd like to preface this question with like, I really don't know much about Freemasonry actually at all, except for like our prior conversation about this, but what I'm kind of comparing it to, I do know a lot about like the Sopranos. So I know about like, I don't know, I guess I'm just trying to think, is it, is it kind of almost like organized crime or is it like open organized crime because they like do good thing, quote unquote, good things for the community. But then are there like made guys and like does human sacrifice look like actually like sacrificing somebody on an altar or like Bohemian Grove or can it look like you know, doing like a hit job or something like in The Sopranos. Yeah, they're the flip side of the same coin. They may do it in a different way. Um, and one of the things that you see sort of for what would happen more on a macro level is that war and rivalry going on. And I wouldn't look at that as uh, a ritual sacrifice, although you could make a case for that. So, but I would expect that whatever they're doing in behind closed doors with all of the made people and all the different godfathers there are things that are going on that would be similar because that would be considered like an adept level so uh, and they're more provided that and taught within the house from childhood again more like a bloodline sort of system so a higher up than what freemasonry would be so 32nd degree unless you're pure blood uh, is you're not an adept yet. That's in the Scottish rite. You have to be 33rd degree, but within the bloodlines of the royals that are initiated from childhood and become an adept before adulthood, they like to call themselves a 32nd degree adept, uh, but they're not allowed to take the title somewhere between 25 and 30 years old as an adept. So they like to use that sort of title. Um, so you have to watch with the two terms. And one is... Uh, I think they created uh, the 33 degrees to, to have a little bit more cam camouflage for the, uh, for, for, for the Royales. So uh, yeah, I would say there would be certainly at the upper levels, there would be a lot of similar uh, things that, that would be going on. Absolutely. So for anybody listening that has a family or friends that are Freemasons, can you give us some advice on how to conversations to have with them, how to, how to minister to them to try to kind of break through that? It's difficult because the more they're involved with them, the more brainwashing they're receiving because it's a cult. So it's almost a deprogramming that you have to be able to be able to take on. And it's like getting people out of a gang. It's like they've been, you have to deprogram them because again, it's, it's a cult uh, and it's all based on the same sort of principles. So they have to want to see it um, and you can't force them to see what they don't want to see. So as with a lot of things, uh, when we're talking about th this kind of level of the macro things that are going on in, in, in the world of the visible ones and the invisible ones and this uh, good versus evil uh, that are seen on, on both sides. The difference is, as we see an end game and a win, they see perpetual conflict forever. Uh, 
one has to plant seeds, I think. And, you know, you can do it in somebody in that case is, is, well, how far would you go? What's your line that you won't cross? Have you established that? And what happens and are you prepared if you're, if you do think you're Christian, are you prepared to accept that um, Jesus isn't the son of God? Are you prepared to accept down the road at some point in time that God, the God of the Bible isn't the God you're going to be worshiping. You may not be being told that yet, but if you plant the seed with them and say, what would you do or what will you do when that's presented to you, you, you need to think about this and they're going to re and promise you all the rewards of this world. Just as Jesus was promised all of the empires of the world by Satan, because they have all of that within their authority to, to, to offer. So how will you, how will you meet that challenge of that temptation? Have you thought about that? You can't, but you can't force them to see what they don't want to see. If they're starting to see some of those things, you may ring the bell and you can have, you know, more conversations with them. But you can leave always leave the door open as is is if you ever get to the point where you're saying this is not one I want to be part of, and you might need some help in terms of what you do next, then you can say, I'll be there for you. But they have to want to do it. And the longer they're in there, the less they'll want to do it. I guess when I think about Freemasonry, I've never really thought about it as a cult. But yeah, no, that's that's a good point. It's a good way to to think about them. Wow. There's a Freemason Lodge like literally on the same road that I live on. Um, well, road that I my my house is right off of and I drive by it just about every single day. And I'm wondering, I'm like, should I, should I be cursing it as I drive by every day? Like what what could I what can I do? Why don't you go in, Chris? Why don't you tell them about the Camperman podcast? <laughs> Yeah, just wait till they're having a meeting and they just uh like take them a plate of cookies. Put out flyers, yeah, on all their cars with the, about the campermon with uh this episode. Listen <laughs> to this episode right here with Gary Wayne. I mean, I think it's a good idea. Yeah, hey, you never know. I might try it. So, Gary, when someone leaves like the Church of Scientology, they're actively um harassed as far as i i know things that i've seen do you know what the repercussions are for someone who leaves freemasonry i'm I'm assuming at lower levels they probably couldn't care less um but at those higher levels i would imagine that that they would want to try to come after them maybe even try to kill them yeah, I I think uh, there's repercussions at all levels. It just gets greater the higher you go. And they swear on an oath on to death not to give up the secrets. And so a lot of people say, well, they, they don't carry that out. But then why would you take an oath to your gods, plural, um, on that? So, and there's a lot of people that, you know, they have strange deaths who are involved with the money and the bloodlines. So, uh, and just with the mafia is you can't get out. 
they're going to harass you. So again, you see and and and, and try and kill you. And so there's there's uh, a, a lot of parallels to that, but it's at the higher level where, you know, at the adept level where they really take those oaths serious and will try and hold you accountable. So it's not that you can't get out, but you have to know you're going to be watched for the rest of your life. And they're going to try and make life miserable for you. And if uh, it looks like you're going to cause any sort of grief, they can demonstrate they can get to you anywhere. I mean, look at the, uh, I'm trying to think of the individual that was uh, involved in sex trafficking and died in prison that was involved with Bill Gates and uh, the Clintons. Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah, they can get to you anywhere if 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 you're a threat, and uh, it's uh, just it. If you're entering into the waters with the sharks, remember they'll turn on you if if you if there's any blood in the water or, or uh, any nick that you receive, and all they'll, and they'll just they'll find a way to to, to get, get at you. They have that much power, and for people who don't think they have that much power. Um, you know, I look at what happened and, you know, he's still alive, um, but the amount of attempts on his life is just, is, is, is said to be, it's, it's a secret number, but it's said to be a, a, a crazy size of number uh, is that uh, Trump, who wouldn't have been super high level of bloodlines, was part of the left, was part of uh, the power group, wasn't permitted to uh, run for president, uh, turned against the left, uh, decided that he would push back on some of the globalist ideologies uh, and have a larger role for uh, the U.S. And the whole Western world rose up against him and are still wanting to get him. And you know, if there's somebody who should fear for his life, it's it's probably him. And it doesn't matter whether you support him or not. But it's a classic example of the organizations and the power and their reach. They have the ability, they have, you know, they have control of uh, the modern uh, Stasi in, in the U.S., the modern Gestapo, and they're using that. They're... Uh, the politicization of the DOJ is on full display that if you don't pull their line, um, they will destroy you. Uh, and that if you do work with them, they'll protect you no matter what until you might create too much damage and then, and then they'll let go of you um, to, to a very large degree. And, so, yeah, it, this is something that people ought to take serious and it goes on in plain sight all the time that's how much power they have have you experienced any uh kind of i want to say backlash from from any of those kinds of organizations with the, the your book with teachings that you do where you're essentially exposing who they really are and what they really do of course, and it sort of comes and goes, um, and you have to take protective measures to when you do this because um, if you don't, you're you're just sort of asking to be a martyr, and 
nobody should go out of their way to be a martyr unless that's what you're destined to do. So um, I think I think if you want to get the information out there, you have to take some protective measures, and, and I do. And yeah, I would be not truthful if uh, uh, I, I don't say that they, you know, they try and get, try and, you know, get at you all of the time. Um, not as much in the last few years, um, but it comes in waves and they're always trying to make things difficult for you as you're doing things out there. So um, you, people need to be aware that there, there are risks. Um, but I think, uh, you know, I weigh, I weigh the risk and do what I can to awaken people. And I'm not a high degree of risk for them though, because again, so I don't get probably the same type of attention that Epstein got, at least to this point, because I'm not revealing things of very high powerful individuals that isn't already out there on the public record, so to speak. So, um, but uh, we, we, you know, we, we have to, we have to remember that uh, uh, they are a very, very large worldwide organization. Um uh, and I probably can't do anything to penetrate the downfall of that in any significant way. Um, but, and I accept that as, as the challenge, but I'm not interested in trying to awaken the whole world. It would be nice, but that would be narcissistic. Um, <laughs> one at a time, one individual at a time. That's, yeah. uh, that's all you can try and do. Yeah. What are some things that have that you've experienced? Um, if if you don't mind sharing, I'm guessing harassment. It, well, yeah, lots of lots of harassment, uh, lots of trolling. Uh, I think I get uh, an unusual amount of internet and problems on shows and things like that. Um, my website, uh, you know, has had. Uh, constant attack um, and I kept upgrading security with the largest bank in Canada and their system and they could not protect my website. Wow. And so I, I, I went, actually went to um, another company in the U S and so far, and I've been with them for a couple of years. Um, so they have the ability to overwhelm uh, your credit card system or your payment system uh, if they want to and uh, so much so as it doesn't matter how much blockage that the bank in canada that i was working with um tried to stop it i they would just you can you do not know what it's like to wake up of thousands and thousands and thousands of emails on on your website and you have to go through and there's charges that are getting through and if you don't go through and um, report each one and back that all up uh, you'll end up paying for it because you're responsible for that um, if you haven't reported the fraud and all you can do is shut your website down wow. shut it off and then spend weeks dealing with it uh, and there was no security that they could provide to and they could overwhelm you in more than one way so 
Yeah. So they, they can make life miserable for you. And it's, but, and the other stuff is, uh, you know, the, the harassment side, but, uh, you know, that's, that's part of, I don't mind, uh, taking, taking somebody on if it's, it's a one-on-one or it's on social media or something, I can handle that. But, um, and I have, you know, I've got, I don't know whether they're part of it. I've got people who fake who I am all the time. Uh, there's fake YouTube sites up there on me. It's just, it's sort of endless of the things that sort of go on. Um, there's one organization that is, and I write about them extensively in my book and they don't like me. And for years, they just went over, over and over and over. They would do YouTube videos. They would do all sorts of things to try and, um, diminish me. Uh, they continually want me to go on their shows to try and see whether or not they can finally catch me on something. <laughs> I, I've stopped doing debates with them, but it's just because <laughs> they just never stop. And it's yeah. always, well, it's always, well, what about this? And what about that? And well, how about the 5,000 things I just debunked? <laughs> right. So, what organization is uh, that? Uh, that's the Essenes, North American Essene organization. Oh, okay. Uh, and a lot of people, and a lot of people think, well, hey, they're part of the Christian movement. Well, they were polytheists, and I write about them in my book. But for Christians who want really specific information on their history uh, and what church fathers said about them and what historians said about them, get a hold of me um, at Genesis 6 Conspiracy. I'll give that again, Genesis 6 Conspiracy at gmail.com. And I have a document on the Essenes. That'll be eye-opening for people who think that uh, they are uh, they were a Christian sect and that John the Baptist and Jesus was part of the sect. It's just it's just not true. That's intense. So that'll get me another response from the Essene community. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> Carrie, I don't know if we mentioned this already, like the last time we recorded, but like how prolific would you say this is like in American politics? Because I've heard that basically like every president we've ever had has been a Freemason. And we were actually at a conference a couple weekends ago and somebody there, I want to say it was Justin Brown showed me like the Mason handshake, which I guess like kind of, if you watch, you know, like if you watch these people in debates or whatever, you know, like they'll get up and shake each other's hands and I don't know if you can tell on camera, but like, I think that there, there's like a specific like Freemason handshake they do. Yeah. And the, and the, the, there is, and there's several ones and they can communicate in a lot of ways and communicate more information than they're just part of one of the societies. And that handshake was part of the Essene culture. And so a lot of the May, the Freemason reorganization has a lot of, um, seen rituals and seen handshakes and signs and symbols and because it's part of their history um so that that's very very true and you were talking about um being connected in terms of bloodlines i think is what you might have been referring to there was some uh research that was done and i haven't researched uh, uh the last couple of presidents but up to uh president bush for sure um, and I won't, and people have told me, well, I've done the research, other people have bloodlines as well, but I haven't done that research. So I can only say what other people said on that, but the other ones, uh, they would take their bloodlines back to the Plantagenet. Um, so like John, um, uh, in the time of King Richard and the Magna Carta 
Plantagenet. Well, the Plantagenet is a junior offshoot of the Anjou family. And the Anjou uh, are a family that, um, and there's three different rivals of the Anjou family, um, but they all make claims to have the King of Jerusalem title. Um, that was passed down uh, from uh, uh, Baldwin II, was the first king of Jerusalem crowned on a small rock and priory in Jerusalem, um, and passed down through the uh, the genealogies that came from the Merovingians and back into history, and so so this long sort of bloodline, but. In the US, there's an organization that answers into the Thalamic tree of uh, organizations and, 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 and there's these trunk organizations in the hierarchy. And so above the Freemasons is the Illuminati. And so the Bohemian Grove is one of these branch organizations that intersect and report into the Illuminati as an Illuminati organization. So not super high up because you have to get into the Rosicrucians to have some pure bloods at the top half of the 50%. And you have to be permitted to run for power and particularly for presidency uh, through rituals and things at uh, Bohemian Grove. So uh, that would, again, sort of attest to that whole sort of connection. So, you know, you had uh, a couple of, individuals that ran an election uh, in uh, the year 2000. You had uh, Bush and you had Al Gore. Uh, they were both skull and bones Illuminati out of university. Um, so when you look at re uh, establishment Republican and that they like to call neoconservatives and uh, established Democrats, neoliberals, they're the flip side of the same coin. For sure. Yeah. I think we've discussed that just a little bit, but for, I, I say that a lot in my personal life. Like it's pro wrestling. It's yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, pro it's wrestling. fake wrestling. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. They're just putting on a show, but they go to the same parties. They, <laughs> they ride in the yeah. same limo to the after party, their buddies. Yeah. Um, it's really obvious now. Well, really, that was the first thing that got me digging into this stuff because like I grew up very, you know, thinking like, yes, you know, like the Republican establishment and like the conservative, you know, like thinking that they were the good guys, you know, and then, but having a really hard time and thinking the Democrats were totally the bad guys, but then being like, wait, but like, why is George Bush such good friends with the Clintons? I don't get it. <laughs> you know, yeah. so that kind of started this. Yeah. And the, the only defense is uh, a populist movement uh, that's not part of the establishment. And that's why there's a war that's going on in the Republican Party is because you have uh, a populist movement that's taking shape. On the other side, there's no difference between the populist far left anarchists and uh, extremists than with the Democratic Party. It's all sort of one unit. So you don't have mm. a a legitimate populist movement that is anywhere indistinguishable from the established Democrats at this point in time, in my opinion, of my assessment of uh, what I see going on. And so, yeah, the only way that uh, Christians are going to um, be safe going forward is, is if they can complete 
the uh, takeover of the Republican Party and the authority away from the establishment and hold on to it um, and to start pushing back on the policies of the globalists and the polytheists. I want to go back to the human trafficking connection with the Freemasons, depending on how you answer this question. I wonder if you have any opinions on Tim Ballard and the sound of freedom. I've been seeing a lot of stuff on social media the last few weeks, maybe the last month or so um, about um, connections that he has with uh, maybe Knights Templar, Freemasonry. Do you know if there's anything to that or is that just kind of fake news, so to speak? I've not done any research on him, so I I can't really comment. I don't know whether he's um, part of those organizations or not. Um, I would say that who he's a member of will be represented if he is part of any of those organizations and what he does. So uh, keep an eye out for things like that. But I I can't, I've not done any research on him, so... But it's common that they it's common that they infiltrate everything with their people, mm-hmm. and have people that are, you know, in positions of influencing and calling the shots, so that they can direct anything, any direction that they want to go, and then put in whatever misinformation or uh, agenda that they want, or block anything that they want. So. But I can't speak, as I say, I've not done any research on him, so I can't speak specifically to him. And I haven't seen the movie, so. Okay. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't seen it yet either. Um, and, and I've got uh, friends that kind of people are on on both sides of uh, the debate on whether they think it's, you know, he's legit or just uh, kind of using the the nonprofit as a as a cover to support you know human trafficking efforts all right so i want to talk about your you have a sequel coming out to your book the genesis 6 conspiracy when when's the what's the release date for that one and what kind of what can we expect out of the second book yeah so i was hoping for uh august or september and uh i'm now out there saying it's going to be moved back a little bit uh, it's gone through uh, an extensive editing process and then a tech audit. And then when I was going through the approval on the tech edit, it's a very it's a very complicated book. And so I want things to be consistent in terms of the spelling and and names and things, you know, in 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 pre in different languages and in, in history, there are many different spellings for the same word or the same individual or the same title. And so it's been a more of a challenge on the editing process than I would hope for. So we're now looking for October, November. Um, if people go to my Facebook uh, front page and I'll be putting out more, I've got a cover that's out there now. And, uh, and, uh, we're just working on some more of the cover stuff today. Um, so we're looking for that. And it's called Genesis Six Conspiracy Part Two, how understanding prehistory and giants helps to define end time prophecy. And this is a book specifically targeted at Christians. And I said, I would never write a sequel 
to the Genesis six conspiracy. You should never say things like that. I did. Um, <laughs> but I was, and I, and I set a book aside that I'm 300 pages into to write this book. And that's so why I spent the last two and a half years on this book and the, and the research going into it. But I received just so much communication, whether it's on social media, on email, on questions, is uh, so much feedback that there's this sort of incredibly large sized quench or thirst that's not been quenched for Christians. And the issue is, is that the church doesn't teach prehistory or prophecy. Uh, most don't, let's say 99% don't. And they're not taught this stuff in seminary school. And they're told not to talk about it, except on the certain talking points that they're permitted to talk on it. So, you know, if indeed we're in the fig tree generation, and I think we are, but if uh, we are, then the church leaders are going to fail their flock. And, but the people are waking up, people are wanting more information. So they're asking how much information is there in the Bible on giants and all the stuff else that goes into prehistory and how is that connected to end time prophecy? And, you know, my position is, is you can't fully understand end time prophecy unless you understand prehistory because the whole context is there. And uh, if, if one doesn't understand the term that nothing new is under the sun and what was will be again, well, there's going to be some shocking things that people aren't prepared for and our leaders aren't going to help us much and even so much so is that even the elect will be deceived um, if that were possible. And it is possible because Jesus warned us that way. And so we have to, you know, we have to be better prepared ourselves. So this book is dedicated to Christians because my first book is you know, brings in information from all sorts of different sources, and I let them speak in their own words uh, so that people understand there's a common prehistory, uh, there's a common uh, future, there's different interpretations from a polytheist lens or a monotheist lens and what happens in the end time, but there's, they're all talking about the same events in prehistory and all the things that happened in history that's recorded lead up to where we are today and so even though i i wrote the book from a christian uh a biases it was taking in information that's not always christian uh, even though i measure everything against what was in the bible so people are saying well how much more is in the bible <laughs> because nobody does nobody has written a book like yours and nobody seems to be doing this kind of research and so I hint at a lot of things in the first book and, and on my shows that there's a lot more information in, in the Bible. So I go deep. I go very deep and I you can't cover it all. I didn't get it all in. There might be another one maybe down the road, but it'll be more fringe stuff. Um, but this book is designed to get people familiar with the Raphaim, the post-Diluvian giants. Um, how those, how many tribes are listed in the Bible, uh, to get familiar with why they created the hybrid human tribes, like the Amorites, like the Jebusites, and the ones who don't have a patriarch, why Raphaim patriarchs aren't listed in the Table of Nations, 
um, and how all of that created the beast empires and why and how that affected our, our history and how all of those terms are important to understand and all that context is important to understand end time prophecy. So then once I go through um, all of the, the different tribes and take them back to a patriarch and some of them back to a specific fallen angel. Um, and once I go through all of the campaigns of the giant wars of the Exodus, and I'll include the Genesis 14 war as well for after the flood, and all of the giant wars and explain who these people are that David and Solomon are fighting and the judges are fighting. Uh, and after I go through all of those wars, then I start going into end time prophecy. And I also do a little bit of bridging on some of the things on secret societies that I didn't talk about. You heard me reference the Philemic tree tonight. I can't remember whether they did in May or not, but I cover off the Philemic tree. I cover off the Jesuits that I didn't cover off. I cover off uh, more of the Babylon religion. And then I start to lay down a chronology for end time prophecy um, in a way that nobody else does. Uh, so there is uh, this this goes so deep i take the uh take the hybrids back to a Raphaelian patriarch i go through the psalms 82 and deuteronomy 32 the assembly of the gods i get into the word armageddon and how that relates to mount Hermon in so many ways and is as as dr heiser i think talked about is going to be the location for armageddon i get into all of that and it's all rooted in you have to understand what was going on in the old testament to understand end time prophecy that wasn't the elevator version but i wanted but i wanted <laughs> to give a pretty good idea what was in it so <laughs> yeah no i appreciate that that sounds amazing I uh, can't wait. We'd, we'd love to have you back on, you know, when, when the book releases to talk about it and help you promote it. When I get a firm date, I'll, I'll get a hold of you or we'll just maybe block a, a date in, in November or something. And okay. Yeah. That'd so. be, that'd be awesome. We definitely, we, we love your work, um, what you're doing. It's, it's so extensive. I mean, just incredible. So yeah, I, I can't wait for, for volume two. And and you're you're gonna like it. I do have a specific chapter on Mount Hermon. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. I love that. I do I do, cur I do cover off the, the the dual aspects of the Hermoning, H E R N O M I M, uh, uh, and and what that means, and to how the wording is indicating that there's also a people that are there. Hermoning as well so all sorts of things about mount Hermon that i thought you might that i talk about also have a chapter on the unicorns of mount Hermon. so we go we go deep into what's in the bible so wow yeah no i can't wait i can't wait for that that's gonna be awesome well gary wayne we we appreciate you coming back on with us um we always have a good time chatting with you and we look forward to having you back on maybe you know what gary if you'd be if you'd be interested, um, we do a members only chat from time to time. Is there any chance that you'd be interested in coming on and joining us for a, a members only chat with our, our members? Maybe we do a Q and a with them one night. Yep. Yep. We can do that. Yep. Awesome. Yeah. I will, uh, I'll reach out when we, when we have a date on that and, uh, we'll, sure. uh, we'll, we'll get that nailed yep. down. 
any anything that we can get more information into the hands of people asking the questions is always a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Well, our um our friend, mentor, and creative director here at Camp Ramon, uh, Mike Stibbs, uh, told me to tell you uh, hello. I told him <laughs> we you know we had you we had you booked for tonight. Love that guy. We love Mike Stibbs. Yes, hey, Mike. He's, he's yeah. Hello, Mike. Uh, Mike is yeah, absolutely <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right, well, Gary, we appreciate you coming on, and uh, we're uh, we're excited to, to have you back on in the future. Okay. Well, thank you. All right. Thank you. Camp on, Tori. Camp on, Chris. Until next time. Peace. Hey, they came down to top vanity, brought the proliferation of humanity. Hey, fallen sons of the most high God took advantage of the planet he made, forming a holy alliance of evil and look at the daughters of Adam and Bain. That the flood rain came to restore his creational order to how he arranged. Put the disembodied spirits of the giants still want a war, still want a kill in the court. To see the blood of the innocent spill on the floor. That's the demoniac and the kind of issue with combined. The healer restores image bearers in his second chance when he coming back, cause he's bringing a sword. This ain't a planned sermon, it's a welcome to Camp Herman. Yeah, welcome to Camp Herman. This ain't a planned sermon, it's a welcome to Camp Herman. Yeah, welcome to Camp Herman. <laughs>